0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podcast PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts.
1: Hey, I got a new podcast coming. It's called Theory. Don't shoot! You- This is Theo Rossi. Our world is changing. For many of us, it'll never feel the same. The important thing to remember is that we are all in this together. And that's some of what I want to talk about on my new show, Theory. We're going to discuss the things that no one ever does. The real talk, the sacrifice, and the struggle that everyone goes through. My life has kind of put me in a unique position to see things honestly. This is Theo Rossi, and my new show, Theory, launches on April 8th officially on Spotify, Podcast One, and Apple Podcasts.
0: Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is actually a first-time Real GM Radio guest. Curtis Harris, basketball historian, runs the awesome Pro Hoops History newsletter. You can check that out, prohoopshistory.substack.com, and the Pro Hoops History Twitter account. And it felt like a great time to talk to him. We've actually had this in the works long before the hiatus to talk about the Hall of Fame, the inductions, snubs who he like how theory of the hall of fame and and his awesome newsletter of course as well so we we get into all that this episode is brought to you by bet online use the podcast one promo code to get a 100 percent sign up bonus but without further ado here's curtis thanks so much for coming on
1: yeah glad to be here
0: you and I have talked about doing this for a while. Uh, I mean, with given your knowledge and the the timing, I mean, we we didn't expect these surrounding factors to be what they were. But I, I think where I want to start, rather than getting into the specific in, uh, inductees for this year, is your feelings on having a basketball overall Hall of Fame rather than something that is NBA specific, or if you think both of those should exist as independent entities.
1: Uh. Well. Yeah, yeah, so this question is something I thought about, uh, geez, really for geez, 2020, almost like seven, eight years. Because uh, back in 2012, I started uh, getting my degree, uh, my master's degree in public history. And so that focuses on the idea of uh, obviously history, but doing it at public venues, so museums, national parks, uh, even digital stuff. Uh, So I've been thinking about, you know, what's the best way to try to present history to people and for people to remember what's happened. And I think the Basketball Hall of Fame uh, is both good and bad. Uh, I'll say the idea is very excellent, but the execution hasn't been that great. Uh, So I think the idea of a Basketball Hall of Fame, uh, you know, that encompasses male players, female players, international, uh, American, referees, players, coaches, like just the whole gamut, I think it's really beneficial for people just to have them see that, you know, basketball encompasses and incorporates all these different facets. Uh, But then I I think the execution hasn't been that great uh, that they don't, uh, in my opinion, they don't let in as many people as they should. Or at least just that some of their inclusions are kind of mystifying as to who they put in and who they don't include. Uh, So... I would say definitely have a basketball hall of fame and uh, you can have an NBA hall of fame, but I would definitely prefer to have an overall basketball hall of fame and not to replace it or, um, subsume it or um, kind of relegate, I think that's the best term, kind of relegate it to the side in favor of an NBA Hall of Fame. I don't, I don't think that's the right way to go.
0: Yeah, I, I, I've, uh, there was a time when I was more obstinate about, you know, the NBA having having its own Hall of Fame and the importance of that, and I, I think the point you got at at the end there is, is really is really a good one. Actually, where you started, too, of having, the, remembering that the NBA is not the end-all, be-all of basketball. It is very important, but international, yeah. international stuff, um, having women and having people who affect who who made a major difference in parts of basketball that are not the NBA you know if you if from an educational public from a public history standpoint I think that makes a lot of sense I think that you want to you want to not only honor those people because they're worthy of honoring but also it helps it helps build the idea that that basketball is a global game rather than it just being all about this one thing
1: Yeah, and uh, furthermore to that, uh, what what we're talking about, you know, I'm very happy that the, I mean, it comes with issues as well, but I'm happy that the Basketball Hall of Fame is in Springfield, Massachusetts. Uh, So, you know, the problem there is that, you know, Springfield's not exactly on the crossroads of, like, you know, major uh, travel routes, whereas if it's like New York City or Chicago, it would be much easier for people to get out there. But the benefit is, you have the Hall of Fame located where the sport was created, and, uh, you know, this Virtually no other sports, ex- except for volleyball, which also started in uh, Springfield. Oh, that's uh, but so crazy! no other sports. Yeah, like there's no other sports. Uh, really, very, very. I mean, I don't want to be definitive. So, like, very, very, very few sports that can pinpoint like this is exactly where our sports started. So, I think that's really cool to have the basketball Hall of Fame precisely in the city where the sport began. So, I think that's really important to keep it uh, in Springfield, despite the kind of challenges that it pr- that it poses in terms of like uh, transportation. Uh, getting people up there. Uh, but then also realizing uh, that with that in mind, that basketball, you know, began before there was an NBA. So to that point about basketball being beyond the NBA, the NBA is now kind of maybe the, to some degree kind of the center of the basketball world, but there's still lots of things out there besides the NBA. Uh, and just to the point about men and women being important, you know, men's basketball started in December, 1891, and women's basketball started January, 1892. So, uh, not a lot of sports can say, like, yeah, we have men and women playing the sport basically at the same time. So I think it's really important to still have the you know, men and women as well uh, in, in the same Hall of Fame. So that's why I really like what they, or the idea of what they have there at Springfield, uh, even though, as like I said, the execution isn't quite there, which I'm sure we'll talk about.
0: Yeah, and... I. It does the so the the positives are are pretty prominent to me. I mean that you that it it, it expands it kind of celebrates the overall sport rather than an individual part of it. it. It's more inclusive and from from really all perspectives. But it does create kind of where I think you were getting at with this. It creates this really challenging question of what and who merit inclusion because when when it is so all encompassing. Then what is the overall level of impact? How do you factor in like level of competition, duration, all of those sorts of things? Like, there, it's it's such a it's such a different challenge than an NBA Hall of Fame. They're both hard, but because yeah. it's so much more expansive, both geographically, chronologically, it's just it's just so hard to wrap your arms around.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And like you mentioned, I'm glad you said, like, you know, no matter what parameters you put in, it's going to be difficult to kind of follow it because, you know, dude, you know, understandably, like, there will always be room to, you know, debate other people as to what you should and should not be doing or who you should let in, who you should keep out. Um, But I would say that the the largest or the two largest issues is kind of the breadth, what you mentioned, just like the sheer volume of people there are to consider to, to include in the Hall of Fame. Uh, but then also the fact that the as of right now the Hall of Fame is very opaque as to how they actually go about selecting people to the Hall of Fame. So I, I think it, you know the the first problem could be better solved. And the second second issue, the issue of uh, how they do the voting and who they let vote, uh, would go a long way towards solving the first issue. Because uh, I was reading their website today just to refresh myself. And just, for example, the North American Committee, which basically is U.S. and Canada, kind of the the people we think of, uh, the NBA kind of people, uh, and also NCAA, um, that committee, I think, has nine voters on it. Wow. So, yeah, so it's like, okay, yeah, you want us to consider, in essence, like about 130 years of basketball history, you know, professional, college, amateur, uh, uh, coaches, players, like all these different kinds of people and then you boil it down to nine voters who decide about who gets in there. And we don't don't even know who the nine voters are. They don't release, like, the final vote tally. So, like, you don't even know if, like, Player X got five out of nine votes or three out of nine votes or even the people that got in this year. Like, I'm sure they were unanimous this year. But, like, you know, you don't know if Kevin Garnett got nine out of nine votes or eight out of nine or seven out of nine. So it's just really hard to kind of grapple with as the, you know, the, the bigger issue when you don't even know how they really select these people to get into the Hall of Fame.
0: What well, and and it's such a different issue than baseball, where I know I, I grew up caring about the baseball Hall of Fame. I don't particularly anymore, but it would became this cottage industry of trying to find votes and the public votes versus private votes and all that. But there's so much more accountability in that structure than having it be nine people we don't know who they are and we don't know how the votes went.
1: Yeah, precisely. Yeah, I'll think the baseball Hall of Fame as well. You know, they now publicly release. Uh, I did. They definitely release the voting tallies. Uh, and I think the voters have the option of letting them, you know, attach their name to the to the voting ballot. Uh, but yeah, but with the basketball Hall of Fame, again, we don't have the results of the vote. Don't even know who votes on it. Uh, so it's and it's really a ridiculously small number of people. Again, it's like nine folks on the North American committee, and if I remember correctly, the women's committee only has seven voters on it. And so you're you're really you know, you're entrusting all this history and all this uh this memory and all these uh, just important details of basketball history to just you know a handful of people and we don't even know who they are so that i would say that's absolutely my biggest frustration with the basketball hall of fame is how they're executing uh the the process of getting people into the hall of fame so we can't even begin to debate you know some of my people i think should be in like i can't even say like say uh what, tim hardaway who i think should be in the hall of fame like I can't, even, I don't even know who to argue with necessarily about getting him in the Hall of Fame. If I don't know who's voting for Tim Hardaway to be in the Hall of Fame.
0: Yeah, that's that's a great point, and it also makes it it also makes it harder to you know to do narratives and everything else because you don't know who you're trying to persuade.
1: Yeah, precisely. Yeah, so like you know I can argue like I mean like I, I'm going to do sometime in the next week or two, be like you know these people should be in the Hall of Fame. And I'll write about it, but like I don't know who to you know email that to. Uh, I'm sure I can email it to the historian at the Hall of Fame, but he doesn't vote on this. Uh, at least I don't think so. He's no one listed who votes on it. So, you know, they have historians at the Hall of Fame. they got the museum curator. But I, I'm pretty sure they don't vote on that stuff. Uh, you know, actually, I gets to another point I just thought of, like, you know, if they had, like, a publicly available list of people who vote on this, you know, it'd be great to see, like, do they have a, uh, a certain number of basketball historians on the list, former players, uh, former coaches, so, like, really have, like, a good selection of people, a good variety of people to select the folks going into the Hall of Fame. Because, uh, yes, yeah, right now, like I keep mentioning, like we just have no idea who it is. We don't know if it's uh, you know a bunch of old executives doing the voting. Um, the NBA commissioner, for all we know, that is in on the voting. Like We just have no idea who it is. We don't know who to tailor the argument to and how to persuade these people.
0: And another part of that conversation is you, you alluded to this earlier, and I think it's worth pursuing a little bit more, which is this class had a lot of people who were – really hard to argue against. I mean, especially from the NBA player perspective, Kobe, Tim Duncan, and KG, but then you could also add in Tamika Catchings, and even yeah. some of the coaches that weren't really a credible argument. But it's also worth mentioning that if you have a Hall of Fame that is as expansive as we said, and if you have a certain threshold, then you can run into a numbers problem in the other way, that you're not admitting enough people, and that it's just going to create log jams, and it's just going to lead to an, like, an insufficient Hall of Fame.
1: Oh, yeah, you have to, uh, last year, so actually these, these last two Hall of Fame classes have been really good examples of some of the issues you have. Um so this year, like you mentioned, like we had a bunch of shoe-in candidates, uh, so, like, no one's arguing with Tanika Catchings or Kobe Bryant or Tim Duncan going there. Like, everybody's like, yeah, those are, you know, bona fide, 100%, yeah, they should be in the Hall of Fame. But then last year, uh, 2019's class had a, had a few players that, you know, it was kind of like a, I don't want to quite say like an apology tour, but it was kinda of like uh, you know, trying to clean things up and like, you know, oh, you know, oh shit, crap, you know, we know we forgot they let these guys in like fifteen years ago, so let's go ahead and do it this year We're just kinda of like a lull. Uh so you know, it was Bobby Jones, Sidney Moncrief, Jack Sigma and Paul Westfall were the kind of the big NBA players that finally got in. And you know, they they've all been retired since, you know, I think Jack Sigma was the last one to retire. He did so like nineteen ninety one. So you gotta think to yourself, like nothing's really changed over the last almost thirty years with these guys' uh, qualifications to get in the Hall of Fame. It's just that the Hall of Fame finally got to, I guess, like I said, that long. Like we're really like, okay, we got like a time to breathe. Let's let in these guys that we've been we should have let in years ago. Uh, so, like, I don't think there should be any limit on the number of people per year they let in. Obviously, you don't want to have like a, a enormous class like twenty people all at once because then you don't get to like celebrate people appropriately. But do you have the other way that goes too far where it's like, well, we can only let in, you know, like four or five people per year because we don't want to dilute, you know, that's me doing air quotes here. You know, we don't want to dilute, you know, the quality of the Hall of Fame by letting in too many people in one one particular year. Uh, I'm, I'm just of the opinion, if you think they're good enough to be in the Hall of Fame, just get them in the Hall of Fame. Uh, don't try to calibrate it just right. We have like, you know, 10 people per year Uh just get in the folks who need to get in. Uh, Because now you have situations where you have uh, basically time limits on people to get into Hall of Fame, and then some guys fall into the the dreaded Veterans Committee. Whereas, like, you know, if you've been retired for, or if you've been, like, uh, what's the phrase? If you've been on the ballot, I think something like 35 years, and you've been unsuccessful in getting into the Hall of Fame, you get put on the Veterans Committee, and they only let in one person per year from the Veterans Committee. So you have like a boatload of people who retired in the 70s, 60s, and the 50s who, you know, I think have pretty good cases to be in the Hall of Fame, but at this point, only one of them per year gets let in now. Even if there's 20 deserving people, only one of them is going to get in per year from the Veterans Committee, and they're not eligible to go in from the other committees. So that's what I mean by the execution has really just gotten uh, really flawed and uh, really ri- uh, raggedy over the last, uh, you know, a couple decades, basically.
0: Well, then you also have other really distinct challenges for the way the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame, the way the Basketball Hall of Fame defines things, which is like letting in teams. I know that there have been, you know, there have been, yeah. that that creates. So okay, so then they get a slot. How does that really work? And then also one of the ones that's so baffling to me is. That while for players you have to be retired and the eligibility thing, you know that's why Kobe, KG, and and Tim Duncan are all in the same class, but that doesn't apply to like college coaches. So you have things like you have college coaches that are in the Hall of Fame and still coaching.
1: Yeah, I think uh, with coaches they've had to get active coaching for twenty years. So that's why you have some
0: active coaches; they can still get well, in. Like, I think part, one year. Yeah, yeah, I think part of the idea is probably that since you can coach so much later in life, that if you had to yeah. wait until coaches stopped, then some of them would be would be dead before they could be be. Yeah, dead. yeah, pretty much.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's one issue. Yeah, some, I don't have a quibble with the, with the. I the like statutory thing with the coaches, um, but my thing is that they seem to steer toward college coaches more than professional coaches with right. the Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, I've been to the hall of fame, I think at least two times, maybe three times, uh, for an induction weekend. And, you know, I've, I've seen Rick Pitino get in, which like Rick Pitino should be in the hall of fame as weird as he is. Um, but he's, he's in there. Uh, but the one that really kind of got me was Bill Self. Uh, he was, he was inducted there. And I was like, Bill Self is getting into the hall of fame, which is like, I'm not going to argue with it too much. It's just like, whatever. He's won a lot of college. I'm I'm not going to argue with him being a hall of fame. But then I look at pro coaches like Rick Adelman or uh, Cotton Fitzsimmons, and I'm like, how come they aren't in the Hall of Fame? Because, like, especially Rick Adelman, it's like this guy's been to the NBA Finals twice. Uh, I think has won close to, if not over, a thousand games in the NBA. And it's like, oh, why is he not in the Basketball Hall of Fame? Like, he is a great, fantastic coach. And so that's where it really gets me is how they let in some people uh, fairly easily. I would say the other guys, he's like, L, uh, erect these, these enormous barriers for them to get in, particularly when it seems to come to professional coaches.
0: Yeah, and it's—I mean, I am totally understanding of the idea that they—you need to respect that need to respect different levels of it. But like, is Popovich in the Hall of Fame?
1: Uh, I oh, he probably—he might know. not have coached
0: long enough because he's in ninety. He started in ninety-six as a coach. He was—he yeah. was an exec before that. Like yeah, you think about you think about that craziness sure. like Bill Self Bill Self is in right now and Self is 57 and you know he, we yeah. don't know how much longer he's going to coach Kansas. Pop is 71, might arguably, if not the best, one of the best NBA coaches of all time. It's like, it kind of feels like that's one of the challenges of making it statutory in terms of policy is that it can lead to some of these yeah. inequities or maybe you could like, have some sort of thing like you could temporarily supersede it for somebody. Or I, I don't exactly know the right way to do it, but just thinking about having a Basketball Hall of Fame that Bill Self is in and Greg Popovich is not seems ludicrous to me.
1: Yeah, and self I remember I was like I had the I had the program so I was like reading through it. I, I, was, I was kinda like you first. Like I was like Bill Self was kinda young to be in the Hall of Fame, but I was like reading his biography and apparently he started coaching when he was like what twenty five years old or something. So I was like, Okay, well that he started coaching college when he was twenty five, so yeah, he would qualify to get in at age fifty six or fifty seven, so uh yeah, that's just one of those odd quirks. Uh that's not the huge uh the largest issue with the Hall of Fame, but yeah, they just like one of those little odd quirks, like, yeah, Bill Self was in there but not Greg Popovich yet, but I mean, pop. For all we know, though, pop might have told them, you know, in a backdoor manner, like, "Hey, don't let me in the Hall of Fame yet. Like, I, I don't, I'm not ready to do that. Wait till I retire. Maybe he's told them that, uh, in a backdoor fashion. So who who knows why he's not in there yet? Because he's coached yeah. for at least 20 years now.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And and something else that I really I really do like about the Hall of Fame having an overall basketball Hall of Fame is that it allows you to reward people who have a lot of different types of contributions. You know, this can come in the form of, like, a high-profile one of those as a player, like Bill Walton, who has NBA in NBA Hall of Fame would be very challenging, though possibly he makes it anyway. Depending on how you feel about peak versus longevity, and every and how you discount for injuries. But if you add in college and you add in his time as an announcer and like his time in the sport, well, then it gets different, and then you can have that for people who are general managers and players. Like I mean, I wrote a lot about Al Adels in my book on Warriors history, and I'm very happy. Yeah. I'm happy that he was included because he was a the stat that I use that he either played with, coached, or drafted. Every current warrior whose jersey number is retired, and like that's that's a pretty amazing to have that sort of connection with a franchise, and that will be true in a couple of years, but it's true right now, and I, I think that there that's something that is good about the Basketball Hall of Fame, but it does it, it, you know it, it creates challenges too, and so but but I do like the overall theory of that of like p- people who have contributed in a lot of different ways, having all of those contributions count.
1: Yeah, but, yeah. I want to go down that path a little bit more. So, what do you, because like, uh, I kind of gave my ethos at the beginning, you know, what I think the Hall of Fame ought to be about. Um, but when it comes to, like you mentioned, the coaching, uh, just the different facets and varieties of ways you can contribute to basketball, uh, what do you think about someone like, uh, who's that? Yeah, I emailed you before this, you know, someone like Larry Costello, uh, who was. I think five or six times an all star as a player, and then won the title as a coach, but only coached for like seven years. Uh, what do you think about people like him who, who uh, if you know about him enough, uh, whether they should be in the Hall of Fame or not? Those guys who had like, you know, fairly good playing careers, fairly good coaching careers, but either one was, you know, extraordinary on their own. I will admit but that if I... you combine them, but, it, Sorry, yeah,
0: I, I will admit that I don't know Costello's resume as as well. He was um, it, it, definitely though because he was a, he was a part of the those he was a part of the the Bucks early on, right?
1: Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. He was the coach of the Bucks when he won the title in '71 and all those when he went to the finals again in '74. Uh, that was basically the only team he coached in the NBA. However, like we said, time with the Bucks. And then, like I said, he was an All Star a few times as a player. So I think of him as like one of those guys that's. Again, didn't, I would have to admit, probably didn't reach no Hall of Fame status in any one part of his career, but when you add in his whole career in basketball, I would say it gets into a Hall of Fame level. Um, but that gets to the issue I think you were bringing up about the, the categorization of how the Basketball Hall of Fame does things. Because you, because um, they have the issue of, uh, or not the issue, uh, the category of contributor, but I don't think they use that one enough. Like I, I just think they underutilized that. Cause they um, actually a good example is Rudy Tomjanovich this year's class. Uh, so uh, what do you think about Rudy T's play, playing career? Do you think he qualifies a Hall of Famer just on his own uh, as a player?
0: My instinct, my instinct would be no. But I think when you combine his playing tenure and his coaching tenure, both of which you know add a lot, then I think he's was a clear inclusion. Okay, yeah, cause,
1: yeah, that's. That's I'm like, with Rudy T, because like, oh, I'm a, I grew up as a Rockets fan, and I, I love Hakeem Olajuwon and Rudy T. So, like, I'm happy for him based getting in the Hall of Fame. But, you know, if I try to, like, you know, be as dispassionate as possible about, just kind of look at it calculatingly, I'm like, I was like, I don't know if Rudy T should be. Well, I don't know. That's like, I, I, again, I'm not going to argue with him going in as a coach, but I'm like, I think Rick Adelman deserves to be in as a coach more than Rudy T. But I'm not going to argue Rudy T being in necessarily. Just that Rick Adelman should also be in. But the Hall of Fame insists upon labeling him as a coach going into the Hall of Fame, instead of having him as a contributor where you could kinda of lop in to playing in the coaching career. And I think that would have him as a on a more sheer ground, uh being a Hall of Famer. If they did the contributor route, uh then incorporate everything. So, um, yeah, I think the Hall of Fame needs to maybe, I don't know, utilize the contributor uh, category more often than they do. Yeah,
0: anyway. and, and some and some of it, I mean, to me, it's you know whichever way whichever way works, but you get into the idea of that that they should be thinking, you know, to me, the idea whether it's whether it's somebody who is primarily a player or a coach or anything, like in Popovich's case, I mean, he has the experience as a front office person. And now you can make yep. an argument. He has the experience of a front office person a whole lot of this time too. Like to me, that counts concurrently that he's the coach and he's had such a huge voice in personnel, depending on how closely you talk to people in the Spurs organization with how you, div- how you split up power between him and, and R.C. Buford and, and now the current regime that's taking over. But I, I think that the the – overall ethos should be more about contributions like you talked about the contributor track to me they should be thinking about really everyone that way i mean could even tie in somebody like grant hill who's had you know who had a yep. playing career and then has done other things outside of it and it that can make it thornier you know like because it's like oh yeah, you have to consider all this other stuff i mean i brought up walton before and I mean, that, you know, it, gets, it gets complicated, but at a certain point, that is the way to think about it. You, you have a basketball hall of fame, but like, yeah, you, you brought up Rudy T as a player. Like, for me, one of the easy thresholds, and I'm not saying every player has to do this on a player only track, but like, if you're, if we're talking about NBA resumes, like, if you never made an all NBA team, if you were never really in that, like widely considered one of the best in the sport, I'm, I'm not as sympathetic. And I can't remember when they started doing all-NBA teams, but you get the, the general concept there of, like, if you are not – and it's the same issue I have with the Baseball Hall of Fame. Like, I'm not as much of a fan of the accumulators, the people who maybe they were a specialist or they were – their biggest strength was that they just did it for a long time, but they were never great. To me, that's not what a Hall of Fame is as much about. Now, you can argue on the contributor side that – grinding, you know, being a very good coach but it affecting, like, let's say you're a college coach and affecting college kids for 30 years, men, like, young young women, young men, either way, that, that that's a big contribution to the sport but if we're talking about it from a player perspective like, that's more the way, and if there were an NBA Hall of Fame, that's something that I would push very hard on, is that you have to have been great at at least some point in your career at, to, to really qualify.
1: Yeah, I, I somewhat agree with that. Um, one of the big issues, well, just to, I know you didn't want to like overqualify or uh, overemphasize this point probably, but just to use it as an example, the All NBA teams. Uh, you know, they, they had that from the very first year of the league, so they've always had All NBA teams, but they only had a first and second team. That's right. Through, I think, 1989 is when they introduced the All NBA third team. So someone like Bob Lanier never made an All NBA team. But you would look at Bob Lanier and be like, oh, yeah, he's absolutely a Hall of Famer. He's one of the best Senators ever played, but. You know, he was he was never one of the two best centers in the league at any one moment. Yeah, so he was always stuck behind, you know, Cream, Cream Abdul Jabbar and Ab- Abdul Jabbar and Bob McAdoo during the seventies. Uh, then in the late seventies and eighties, he got stuck behind Cream and Moses Malone. So it's like, are we really going to hold that against Bob Lanier that he wasn't better than Moses Malone and Cream Abdul Jabbar? Like that's a pretty high bar to kind of you know great being somebody with. Um, so I know that like that's a, that's kind of a good uh, test, but it should be an end-all, be-all. It's a good question to ask, like that they make an all-NBA team. But then there's other guys who well, I like to think about it as: um, could you reasonably tell like a, a history of basketball, or even just the NBA, just to kind of like narrow the focus here? Could you tell the history of the NBA like in a sufficient manner without including this player? And I think that's a really good question to ask as well when you think about the Hall of Fame. So. Uh, it doesn't still get everybody because some guys do really important things, but people just don't recognize their recognize their importance, um, at certain points. And you have to go back and kind of really study it and be like, oh yeah, this guy really did actually, uh, in court or down in corporate, uh, influence a lot of things that happened, uh, in the league. Um, so someone I think about a lot on that facet is Bob Dandridge, who did make an All-NBA team. Uh, he made the All-NBA second team in uh, 1979, but he made four All-Star teams, won two titles, uh, one with the Bucks in 71 and one with the Bullets in 78. But when I was researching him uh, a few years ago, I discovered that he scored more points in the NBA Finals during the 1970s than any other player. And I was like, holy shit. Like, I never would have thought about that. But I started looking at the Finals. I was like, okay, Bob played in four NBA Finals during the 70s. Uh, won two titles. And I started, like, looking at the points. And I was like, I think he scored more points than everybody else in the Finals. And I, like, added it up for every player. And uh, so he didn't have the highest average. You know, cream I do the bar, I think, at the highest average, which makes sense. But... Bob had, like, the sheer total of most points. He averaged, like, you know, 22 points a game in the NBA Finals during the 70s. So it wasn't like he was just making the Finals ten times in a row. and then not like, average eight points per game. and just happened to rack it up. Like, he made it four times, scored 20 points per game, 22 points per game. And uh, so someone like him, I think, kind of gets overlooked. I'm like, okay, he's somebody that you want to think of as, like, being necessarily one of the, the greatest players at first glance, but then once you start digging into it, you realize, okay, this guy actually was pretty good, and he was, like, a uh, – the second best player on an NBA title team, and then maybe the best player on the title team with the Bullets in 78, but folks really don't think about it that way. So I think that's why you got to look, uh, really study individually what these people do and how they do it. And all-NBA team, and all-star team, might be a good way to kind of point you in the right direction, but doesn't give you the full story. You've got to keep going on to see what these guys contribute and what they do for the league and for their teams and uh, for basketball as a whole.
0: That's a great point, and it also gets at how important it is to make sure that people who, whoever the voters are take it seriously i mean obviously knowing who they are would be would be ideal here but that they take yeah. it seriously and that they're really going through it it does get so much harder once you get out of that time period but thankfully we have in some ways we have better research tools now than we did even when those were more contemporaneous just because yeah. you know we can get into we can get into things a little bit differently plenty more to talk about with Curtis Harris but first a message from bet online With currently no NBA, NHL, or Major League Baseball, you might think that there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, BetOnline, still has hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on. Or let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack, all open 24 hours a day and all online, the Casino. Never closes. If you are into props and entertainment betting, you could still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the weather. Visit the website and use your, mo- or use your mobile device today to get a 100% sign up bonus. Use the Podcast One promo code to make sure that you do that. And it's great that they're doing that opportunity, that they have so many things out there. So make sure to visit our good friends and exclusive partner of Podcast One, Bet Online, to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and make sure to use the promo code PODCAST one to tell them that you came from us, and to get your one hundred percent sign up bonus at Bet Online, your online wagering solution. You know, you talked about the idea of telling the history of the sport without this person. And back when I was, so I was writing my book in 2017 for the most part. It was after the sixteen during the during the sixteen seventeen season. And one of the last edits I had to make on the book was. I was completely convinced that Chris Webber was going to make the Hall of Fame. And so I had in there Chris Webber was inducted into the Hall of Fame in in the class of 2017. And then I had to rapidly cut it from the book once it was announced that he didn't make it. And it is shocking to me when you consider what the Hall of Fame is – supposed to consider that as much as you know whether are, there are imperfections in his resume i mean when you consider his role yeah. within the fab five and then his nba career and then what happens afterwards this idea that you and i've been spending a lot of time on of the overall contribution it's crazy that he's not in yeah
1: and he's a great example uh yeah of someone who's contributed a lot uh and you know we should take a contribution not you know Wholly unvarnished. Like, there's some things, like, it, it, it's history. So, some things are going to be, you know, absolutely pretty. Some things are going to be a little bit, you know, dirtier, I guess you could say. So, C. Webb, you know, did the, the how everyone interpret which I'm sure this is why he's probably not in. Some people interpret some of the things he did as, you know, kind of the dirtier side of basketball. So, he he challenged the NCAA structure. He and uh, Jalen Rose and Juwan Howard, the rest of the Fab Five guys. Uh, so, I'm sure that hasn't endeared him to some people. Uh, but then, and then of course, you know, he kind of pouts his way out of Golden State, but all that aside, like, he's not the first person to pout and still be able to get into the Hall of Fame. So, uh, and then, like, the, the great things he did, like, one of the best passers, uh, one of the most talented big men, uh, you know, probably should have won a title in 2002, but we're not going to go into that, uh, <laughs> with the, with the NBA playoffs. So it's like, it's like this guy is clearly one of the most talented power forwards, highly influential on in how the game is played. Uh, now as you saying, like now, Dad he's broadcasting. I have opinions on his broadcasting, but sure. he broadcasts, so it's like he's he's still contributing to the game of basketball, and he's an influential person. No way in the world he should he should not be in the Hall of Fame. But again, like you said, we don't know who's voting on it, so we don't know what their agendas might be, what their biases might be. Um,
0: well, and that's the other problem with having it yeah. be such a small number of people is that you could you could imagine. So there there are certain you know biases that come in i mean the baseball hall of fame which again i grew up with this has been so so common you know if it, if it had a smaller voting class then even the prevalence of things like the steroid steroids or people you didn't like maybe they were a jerk to you when they were a player or wh- any number of different things if the baseball hall of fame was decided by 11 people those Those would come to the fore because you never know what that 's going to be, and that 's part of why you need a wider group deciding is because the hope that those biases dissipate that the small sample doesn't doesn 't overcome everything
1: yeah i mean that 's an excellent point like uh, toward the beginning of the uh, when we started talking, I mentioned you know we don 't know who comprises the the, uh, the voting body, and it, it's just nine people, but uh, I mentioned like you know you could have uh, like former players coaches um, Journalists and you know historians, yeah, that kind of gives you like a, uh, a a different perspective, a different flavor as to who those people think are important, and I think that's that's really good because you know players think of basketball in a certain fashion, coaches think of it a certain way, journalists and historians are, in a certain way, uh, and, not, and not just you know I'll just use myself as an example, you know. Like I told you earlier, I grew up a Houston Rockets fan. So, like, I have very fond memories of Rudy T and Akeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler and Otis Thorpe. And so, like, if I, if you saw my ballot and you saw that I voted for Rudy T to go to the Hall of Fame, you could be like, well, yeah, Curtis, you know, he maybe he's a Houston basketball historian, but he still grew up a Rockets fan and he acknowledges that. So, he can take that with a grain of salt if I vote for Rudy T. But if other people vote for Rudy T as well, you can be like, well, okay, he has a pretty good case of other people as well, you know, vote for him. And then, conversely, like, if I didn't vote for, say, who's someone I hated from the 90s that played the Rockets, uh, like, Carl Malone. Like, I, I hate I Carl hate Malone. So, like, if I didn't vote for Carl Malone for the Hall of Fame, despite, you know, him having, like, thirty some thousand points, you'd be like, okay, maybe Curtis is, you know, falling back on his prejudice against, you know, the Utah Jazz because they played the Rockets back in the 90s. Like those are just you know fairly simple examples of it, but you can get like more nefarious ones with like journalists or former players or coaches if they don't vote for somebody because they're holding some grudge from you know twenty thirty years ago. Yeah,
0: or it could be um, like it could be shoes, it could be any number of any number, or it could be just like a personal gripe. If it's that small a number of people, yeah. it's not it can't it doesn't take much necessarily if it's the wrong people. Yeah,
1: yeah, and uh, there's a former player. I'm, I'm going to keep his name secret, but like there's a former player I spoke with about the Hall of Fame. And uh, he's not in the Hall of Fame, but he and he was just like, I don't know why I'm not in the Hall of Fame. And he wasn't trying to brag or anything, but he's just like, I don't know why I'm not in the Hall of Fame. Like I think I should be, but he was just like genuinely like, I don't know why, uh, like I don't have an explanation. I don't know who to talk to about it. Um, he's like, whereas and he said like, I see other people get in. I, I think to myself, well, they must know someone on the committee or know somebody in within the. Within the confines of the Hall of Fame, they were able to kind of get a, an end to kind of maybe convince people to let him in the Hall of Fame. But he's just like, I have no idea um, who to speak with, really, about this, about, you know, what really goes on with it. Uh, so, and I you know what I felt for the guy, because I'm like, yeah, you're right. Like, we don't know why you're in, you're not in the Hall of Fame. Um, we really don't know why any of these guys are in the Hall of Fame. Uh, like, people don't explain the vote. They don't reveal the vote, as we them keep mentioning yeah, that's why I say it's the most frustrating part of the Hall of Fame. It's not even who they let in. It's just the fact that we don't know what the, pro- uh, what the thought process is behind letting these guys in and women in.
0: And, and when you think about an ideal process, for me, a, an important part of it would be nomination and evaluation. So you, you brought up Bobby Dandridge, which I think is, is a fantastic example of making sure that the people who are voting, even if the people who are putting together the cases are not voters— Making sure that the that the evaluators get the best information, and so that I, I would say would probably involve a couple of different people who are you know fact checking and making sure you don't get into the biases of you know, yep. uh, only including sunny stuff and not including everything else, but making sure that everybody's working from the same set of facts. And when the process is as opaque as the Hall of Fame, as the current Hall of Fame is, it's very possible maybe some of that stuff mm-hmm. is getting in, but. When you don't know that for sure, or you don't know it, you know, not, for, you know you, you don't know it either direction. It becomes easier to attribute a lack of information as a part of the reason why things aren't going the way that that you think they should.
1: Well, I, I can say they do because uh, actually I, d- I did submit some information for one candidate um, a couple of years ago. Uh, so they do they do produce what I call packets uh, for each uh, nominee. Now, the problem is, is I don't know how robust each packet is for every candidate. So, you know, some candidates might have, you know, whatever, like a 30-page packet of information about them, and someone else might only get, like, two pages, regardless of their individual qualifications. Somebody might have more uh, resources and more supporters behind them, so they'll submit more information to support their candidacy. Uh, But, yeah, I I emailed an article to um, to the curator at the Basketball Hall of Fame. I said, hey, I wrote this thing about Leo Ferris. I would like it if you submitted it. Uh, on his behalf uh, to go into the Hall of Fame. He was like, yep, I'll, I'll put it with the packet. But then at, after that point, I don't know, or like none of us outside the Hall of Fame really know how much the voters actually read those packets and how much it, how much time they spend actually studying uh, the information. Uh, how, and how do they, do they meet with each other to actually debate the qualifications of each of those candidates? Because uh, so, I, th- I think it would really be beneficial if we you know, just had like a more public and open process and we were guaranteed that, you know, Every candidate gets, you know, 10 pages of information about them submitted to every single voter, and every single voter will read all this information, and the voters will have to, you know, defend their vote and explain why they voted a certain way. So I think that'll give it more responsibility and more, um, you know, I don't want to make this sound like life or death or whatever, but, you know, hope, at least assurance that these folks are taking it very serious about what they're doing, um, and not just voting at people that they've heard of before, um, which seems to be the case sometimes. You know, not to besmirch Mitch Richmond, but, like... Mitch Richmond, like, got in the Hall of Fame really fast. Because when he was up for uh, election a few years ago, I was like, oh, Mitch is up. I was like, I hope he gets in. And then when he actually got in, I was like, holy shit, they let Mitch Richmond in, like, on the first and second ballot? I was like, I couldn't believe it. Um, not that I was against him going in, it's just that I thought, like, his resume wasn't the one that seemed like he would get in really quick. When other guys have been waiting forever.
0: Yeah, he seemed like one uh, that might have to build up support and all and all that. Uh, yeah, I was say, like, this might, might take him like, you know, ten, twelve years to get in." Like, no, he
1: got in after like two years. It was, it was crazy.
0: Uh, let's, let's talk about Leo Ferris. But um, from, I, I don't know Ferris's resume that well, but I do remember that he's associated with bringing in the twenty-four second shot clock. That's is that right?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. He is. I think he's like, um, like so. My, my personal viewpoint, like uh, Leo Ferris. Bob Dandridge, and another guy, Leroy Edwards, uh, who I can tell you about later on. Uh, But I think those are three people that exemplify, at least from my areas of expertise, some of the issues with the Hall of Fame and how they go about uh, evaluating, letting people in. So, uh, Leo Ferris never played professional basketball, but he got involved in pro basketball in 1946. And so he founded what is now the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, they were called the Buffalo Bison way back when. so They started in Buffalo. Uh, but he founded that franchise and then moved them to uh, Moline, Illinois, where they became the Tri-Cities Blackhawks, and on and on and on. They eventually become the Atlanta Hawks. So long story short, that's their that, that franchise. Uh, he also signed uh, William Pop Gates, who is in the Hall of Fame uh, as a player. But Pop Gates was a, a professional black player from the 1940s. And, uh, Ferris signed him to the Buffalo Bison. So that's one of the first instances of a black player being signed to a, you know, predominantly white team. That's before Jackie Robinson got into Major League Baseball. So that was like 1946 as well. Uh, then Ferris also, um, he sold a stake in the the franchise he founded. He went to become general manager of the Syracuse Nationals. Uh, he was able to get Dolph Shays to them instead of the New York Knicks. Uh, he was a really great GM, and then like the you know the, the big big two things he did was he helped create the NBA and uh, create the shot clock. And so when I first found out about this man, I was like, why haven't I heard about this dude before? He founded a franchise, ran another one, uh, got them an NBA title, um, helped create the NBA in 1949, and then you know did the mathematical formula to create the 24 second shot clock. I was like, it seems like a pretty no brainer to have this guy in the Hall of Fame. Uh, But, like, he's not in there, and not only is he not in the Hall of Fame, like, barely anybody knows about him. So it's it's one of those examples where I think if the voters saw what his actual resume is, I think they would let him in. But at this point, you know, he's he's only going to get in through the Veterans Committee because it's been so long. Uh, Like, this is the stuff he did back in the 40s and 50s. So, like I said, it's been so long, he's only going to get in through the Veterans Committee, and they only let in one person per year on the Veterans Committee. And so, Leo Ferris isn't the only guy on the Veterans Committee that deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, so you might have, have, like I say, you know, 25 people that deserve to get in and let in one per year. And then every single year, you know, maybe two or three more people join the list of, of folks who should be in that get knocked, uh, knocked onto the Veterans Committee. So that's just one of the, the huge issues, I think, that the Hall of Fame has, where eventually I think they're going to have to have like a um, – uh what's the phrase I'm thinking of? Um,
0: An adjustment, a calibration?
1: Yeah, yeah. I was thinking like a, like a freaking buyback program. I was like, that's not quite the way I want to go about it. But like a – yeah, just like a, a, a situation where like, okay, this one year – actually, this is what happened with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a few years ago, they let in five groups – that they said, we screwed up, we should have let these groups in like 20 years ago, but we're just going to let them in this year, independent of everything else. These are just five groups we should have had in from the beginning. And It was uh, the Miracles, the Comets, the Famous Flames, groups like that, uh, that their lead singer got in the Hall of Fame, but the groups themselves didn't get in the Hall of Fame. And So I think the Basketball Hall of Fame used to do a similar thing. We are like, okay, look, we screwed up for like the last 35 years. There's like 10 to 15 people that should be in the Hall of Fame at this point, and like they're never going to get in through our current process. We just need to have one year where we just say, look, we're going to let all these people in. Don't care what committees – is like committees don't matter at this point. These are just 15 people that deserve to be in the Hall of Fame that we've overlooked for too long, and it, it, we shouldn't keep on doing this because they'll never get in through our regular process. Let's just let these folks in. And Leo is ought to be one of those at the front of the line uh, that gets in that way.
0: If if only there were an unusual circumstance that would lead to people having more free time, where they could put together and evaluate this and 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 re, and, uh, and consider the greater context. I, I if I mean, it would be terrible if something like that happened. But if it did, it would be wonderful if they could take advantage of it.
1: I mean, yeah, like you know, there's no active basketball being played. Like <laughs> nothing's going to distract people. Uh, you just. Get some ratings. Uh, distract people that way. Like, yeah, make it a public relations event. Just, God, just get these folks in the Hall of Fame. There's some people who's just so ridiculous. Will Ferris is one of them. Um, and a re- really smart guy, just if I could explain the formula. Um, like, in the early 50s, um, like, he and the owner of the Syracuse Nationals, uh, Danny Bison, who does get credit for the shot clock, and he should, but it wasn't just him. Uh, but Ferris and Bison were like, the scores really suck. The, the, like, the, the game is good, but the rules force people to play it a certain way and we get these slowdowns and the stall ball, and the fouling to get the ball back. And so Leo Ferris is like, okay, you know what, we have a really high scoring game, you know, games that reach into the 100s, which happens occasionally. But he's like, when that does happen, he's like, typically, each team shoots around 60 field goals a game. So there's 120 shots between both teams and he said, we got a 48-minute game, which uh, comes out to 2,440 seconds. So he took 2,440 seconds, divided it by 120 shots, and that's how he got 24 seconds to shoot. Amazing. Yeah, like and so yeah, he, he was like a math whiz, and that's why he made the budgets work for Syracuse Nationals. He, he saved them financially, too. Uh, yeah, so it's like he didn't just pull it out of a hat. Like He thought about what's a good high-scoring game. This is the number of shots. This is how many seconds we got in the basketball game. This is how many shots, uh, seconds you should, you should have to shoot. Uh so that's just a really fun thing I learned while I was doing my research on him. So yeah, people like that deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Now, good, good brains, good basketball acumen. Um, uh, just, just really fantastic person that that fellow. Well,
0: and then you you think about you know we we talked about the idea of a contribution, how the twenty four second clock changed the NBA, but how that spread throughout the sport and made the sport more palatable, made it more exciting for people all around the world is truly incredible.
1: Yeah. No. it... Um like people often I mean and rightfully so, people often mention, you know, the integration of, of basketball as important. Uh, but I also like I'm writing my dissertation right now, like I'm putting alongside the integration of basketball is also the shot clock because it's like it's like, you know, Elgin Baylor and Will Chamberlain and Oscar Robertson and Bill Russell, like, you know, they could have all that talent, but if people are still playing stall ball. It's like how, how like Will Chamberlain's not scoring fifty points a game if you have stall ball going on. Uh, but with the shot clock that forced everybody to play faster. And when you play faster, you like you literally just have more plays in the game. And I think of it in a fashion of like, you know, you just have more opportunities to do, you know, creative things. You know, you get caught in a bind. You've got to create up something to get out of it. So someone like Elgin Baylor, you know, doing all the crazy shots he did, he's like, some of those shots are because the shot clock is winding down, so you have to make up something to get the shot off before the, the clock goes off. And so that kind of stuff just, you know, speeds up the evolution and the, uh, the excitement of basketball. So, yeah, you really can't calculate the effect the shot clock had on basketball, but you just know it really did speed up the game, but also forced innovation because, you know, if you have forever to shoot, you can just keep passing the ball around until you finally get an open, wide open jump shot. But if you got a time limit, you got to drive in and, you know, flip up some shot over your head that's going to be crazy. But people are like, huh, that was cool. Maybe we should try to work on that and try it again next time. And maybe not do it with two seconds left on the clock, but maybe work a play to get that specific shot once again. So, that's the kind of things I want people to think about when they're voting for the Hall of Fame. And show these kind of the outside the box things. Don't just go for you know who made the All NBA team X number of times, the All Star game X number of times, but also who influenced basketball stylistically uh, and also uh, culturally as well. I think those those are really important things to consider as well with the Hall of Fame.
0: Yeah, I was thinking back to I, I don't remember all the specifics, and I, I doubt you have. I'll be impressed if you have this in your wheelhouse too. Like you think about the impact of the shot clock. I remember Kevin Love played in a high school game in Lake Oswego that didn't have, like, I think Oregon, like, didn't have a shot clock in high school basketball until somewhat recently. And so they they played stall ball, like, this was probably, like, 15 years ago. And it was, so there was a game that ended, I think it was, like, 8-4 to or something like that. And so you, you remember that it would be very easy for this to be so much worse.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I mean, just imagine, like, you or people listening uh, to the podcast, like, just think about, you know, you pick up basketball. Like, if you're playing to 11 or whatever your score is, so, like, think about how awful the game gets. Like, if the teams are tied at 9-9 or 10-10, the next point wins. So, like, the games turn awful because people will start fouling each other or just holding the ball forever. It's like, that's the same kind of stuff that happened in the NBA. So, like, it's not the players necessarily. It was the rules that the players were under at that yeah. time period. That forced them to play that way. As soon as you got the shot clock, like that, just allowed players to play more freely. Uh, that's what you know made basketball. You know, it was, you know, it still had beautiful stuff back in the '40s and '50s, but you saw more of the beautiful, beautiful stuff more often when you had the shot clock because people now were freed up to do this stuff instead of you know hacking and doing the stall ball.
0: Exactly. Uh, I- don't have a, a ton of time left so what i wanted to do if yeah. that would be an appropriate last thing would be to open the floor to you we already talked about leo ferris which i think is a great example we've talked about a few of the other ones i know i know chris weber is, is somebody and and dandridge somebody that you care about a lot to just make them to make if you want to make it a brief case, you want to make it a long case for some of the other people that you think it's most important for them to be considered and included
1: all right uh- yeah, so just for everybody listening, uh, this is not all-inclusive. Uh, if I don't say somebody, doesn't mean I don't think they should be in. It just means I didn't remember them at this point. Uh, but uh, I think I mentioned a lot of the people. Yeah, I got Tim Hardaway, Chris Weber, uh, Rick Adelman. Oh, Doug Moe, another coach that should be in there. Uh, his teams never won a title, but they were always exciting to watch and, you know, got – the Denver Nuggets were always guaranteed to score 120 points a game. Uh, like those are some of the best teams to ever watch. Uh, even even
0: though that those teams made it hard for like when I'm doing a lot of my evaluation stuff because you see those Nuggets teams and they just screw with all the data. <laughs> it's like like oh nobody scored nobody's nobody scored 130 points a game. That's oh yeah of course either the Nuggets or the teams they played against.
1: Yes, like that, Doug Moe, Got to love him. Uh, and also his suits. Y'all never seen a photo of Doug Moe? Just Google him and uh, his his suits he wore back in the '70s and '80s are great. He's always rumpled. Uh, anyways, Doug Moe great coach I think should be in. Um, I mentioned Larry Costello. Uh, Another guy that's kind of like Larry Costello, where he had a really good playing career and a really good coaching career, was Gene Shue. I think he was a four- or five-time All-Star as a player, and then coached for, I think, probably somewhere around 30 years in the NBA, and uh, got to the NBA Finals twice, but didn't win the Finals, but he got there twice, Uh, once with the Bullets, once with the Sixers. Uh, So I think he should be in the Hall of Fame as well for his contributions to basketball. Uh, And then... The last person I'll mention, I don't want to take up too much time here, but the, the big player over anybody else I've mentioned so far, the player I think that should be in that is not is Leroy Edwards. And uh, he played for the Oshkosh All Stars in the National Basketball League back in the 1930s and 40s. And so um, I'm so big on him is because he's such a good player, but also that the National Basketball League is something that gets forgotten about in basketball history now, even by the NBA. Uh, so Leroy Edwards won the MVP in the, in the National Basketball League. He won the MVP three times, and I, if I remember right, he won the title twice in that league, the scoring title maybe three times as well. Uh, he played at the University of Kentucky for one year, but quit because he's like, I'm not, it's the Great Depression, he's like, I don't have time to play college basketball, I need to make some money, so he quit college basketball, uh, went professional back in the 30s. Uh, but he was one of the great centers uh, from back then, and uh, he's one of the reasons why they instituted the three-second rule on offense because he was set up in the paint. People were like, well, you know, crap, we can't get this guy out of here. And they're like, well, we've got to put in the three-second rule so he can't just sit in the paint and throw these hook shots up. Uh, so He's one of those guys that was so good, they had to like change the rules of the game, which I think is always an indicator of how good somebody is. is when they have to change the rule to, to, to compensate for what you're doing. You so, know, So it's easy to kind of look back and be like, yeah, you know, whatever. Three seconds in the lane, what's the big deal? It's like, well, you know, for the last, is this 1930s? you got to put yourself in a historical mindset. If it's 1930s, you could be like, basketball's been around for 40 years. It's only now, after 40 years, that they had to put in a three-second rule because this one guy shows up and has to make you change the rules. So I think that's a pretty good way to think about how good of a player he was. And then um, the league that he played in, like I keep mentioning, the National Basketball League, They merged with the Basketball Association of America in 1949 to make the NBA, which is the National Basketball Association. So makes perfect sense. National Basketball League, Basketball Association of America, put them together, National Basketball Association. So, But I think the reason why Edwards isn't in there, along with Leo Ferris, is that their careers got started in the NBL, and that that league gets kind of discounted in basketball history, unfortunately. Uh, But, those are just some of the people I think should be in. Uh, there's others I can think of, but I don't want to waste up any more time here. Um, folks can follow my Twitter and see my complaints about that over time if they want to.
0: They absolutely can and should. Thank you so much for taking time. It was an absolute pleasure.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on, Danny. It's always great to talk about history and uh, Hall of Fames in particular. I think they're really fascinating just to think about uh, what's important uh, in a sport, but also how we, rem- how we remember what's important.
0: Absolutely. Thanks again for taking the time. Thanks so much to Curtis Harris for taking time to come on. You can read his work. The best way to do that is the newsletter that he has. Go to prohoopshistory.substack.com, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K. And you can also follow him on Twitter at, appropriately, prohoopshistory, P-R-O-H-O-O-P-S-H-I-S-T-O-R-Y. Love having him on. Curtis and I have actually known each other for years now, talk a little bit, and... While I am not as invested as you, you got this obviously through the podcast in the Hall of Fame. I love talking with people who are and who know this, who know the history, who are invested in 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 a way that I am not. And Curtis is just a fantastic person to talk to for all that. So you should definitely check out check out his work. And it's especially now when there's less going on, I think I have a greater appreciation for it. But he was churning out great stuff long before the hiatus. If you want to support this show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player choosing. It's great if it's Apple Podcasts. If you use something else, you can actually leave a review both places. That's much appreciated. Word of mouth, extremely important, whether you're talking to your friends or social media, whatever you want to do, if you like a single episode or the podcast in general, just making sure more people hear about it. And then subscribing, downloading every episode. Those are extremely important just to make sure that the opportunity is there for you. It also can help with our metrics, get more people to find the show. And the most important thing for this show and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors, Bet Online, use the podcast one promo code for what is now a one hundred percent sign up bonus, which is pretty awesome that they're doing that. Do not worry uh, that I'm, you know, getting low on content or anything. Real GM Radio, just like Dunkthon, will be going strong as long as. Basically, as long as I have to, you know, that's the way the way it's going to work. As long as people keep listening, as long as the advertisers stay on board, I'm going to keep doing the show. I have lots of different ideas, things to pursue. It is a little harder in this n- nebulous area where we don't know when things are happening, you know, like w- if there's going to be a playoffs, if it's going straight to the offseason, all that type of stuff. But rest assured, we'll get all that. You can also check out my work, Dunked On, of course, five times a week. Nate's also doing an awesome COVID podcast, which is being separated out into its own own thing, so you can check that out too. And then my written work is at The Athletic. I've done a series of now four pieces on the 2020 free agent class all of which are available there, and then I have a lot more stuff coming. I think I have something like seven pieces that are in process right now, not even including the collaborative stuff that I'm working on. Uh, So that'll be, you know, when they're ready to run and they're ready to publish, they will be published, and when I have them finished, I will submit them. So it all goes in a process, and if you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent on this show, or honestly anything else that I do, at gmail.com is the way to do it. If you take the time to write it, I will promise that I will read it and I will respond if and when I can. I'm, that's not my promise. My promise is to read it because I don't want you to waste your time. But I sometimes get buried. It's, it's weird. You know, they're in this strange thing where a lot of things aren't happening, but I'm actually still really busy. Not complaining. I'm so thankful for it because it gives structure to my day and honestly to my life. But... I hope that you can find things that make make you happy. I'm fun doing this show and everything else is, is definitely occupying some of that space for me. I watched the uh, 2013 NBA Finals Game 6 on Wednesday, and that was really nice to kind of get back into it. It was a a really fun one, actually, that Nate and I did years ago for Stitcher Premium as a kind of throwback to watch that game. Uh, And, and, you know, to to pick that up, and I'm obviously watching a lot of film, too. Nate and I are doing prospect breakdowns, and then I'm going to turn those into pieces as well. Hopefully, that's the plan. I just need to figure out how to do that, because I haven't written, really written draft work in a long time. So I'm trying to figure out how I want to best do that. But That is more than enough rambling for right now. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, stay safe out there, and make it a great day.